looking for two. Doncaster straight. Can he do it again? Light up the world is getting up near the fence. But Pharaoh, Pharaoh dashed to the lead from Abbe Glenn and light up the world, followed by Aragen and Brave Warrior. But Gavin Eads goes for home on Pharaoh. Look at Auntie Mary. Auntie Mary out of the back. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. Australian trainers are giving Pride's Racing Cube the thumbs up. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube is a set recipe formulation in which the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Mornington trainer Jason Warren introduced his horses to Racing Cube early this year and is delighted with the results. We've had a great deal of success since making that change. So really pleased with Pride's and not only the racing cubes, they've got a number of other feeds that work well for us. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag in bulk bags or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at a very economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed stable. Trainers are giving it the tick of approval all around the nation. When the eight-time Group 1 winner Intergaze was retired to stud in the year 2000, his regular jockey Craig Carmody had to weigh up his options. Did he stay in Sydney where opportunities would be limited, or did he accept a tempting offer to ride under retainer in Singapore, where the new state-of-the-art Cranji racecourse had just opened and had given local racing a shot in the arm? Craig opted for the latter, and was destined to spend the last four years of his riding career in Singapore. He rode winners consistently, he snared a prestigious Group 1 win, and on one occasion he rode four winners on a Cranji program. He was in his late thirties when he finally returned to Sydney, where a powerful group of jockeys was dominating. Craig quit the saddle, applied for his trainer's licence, and was lucky enough to acquire stables on Randwick Racecourse. It's been a tough fifteen years. He hasn't had access to affluent owners and has had to work with cast-offs, rejects and yearlings in the thirty dollars to $40,000 price range. He's done very well to deliver optimum performance from a number of these low-profile horses. He's as keen as ever with a team of 10 in work, chipping away, doing his best, waiting for his own intergaze to walk through the gate. I'm delighted to welcome a very old friend to the podcast, 11-time Group 1 winning jockey and dedicated Randwick trainer, Craig Carmody. I'll call you Beeper first up and I'll explain why later in the interview. G'day, John. Lovely to be with you, mate. Pleasure to be on your show. Craig, you got back to Sydney in 2005 and you couldn't see much sense in continuing your riding career in the toughest of environments. That's it, John. I I just about had enough of the riding by then. My body was telling me that, uh, you know, it was coming to an end. I just had 
you know, I had lower back issues that were sort of gnawing away at me. Um, and I just felt that it was time while I was young enough and enthusiastic enough to turn my hand at, at training. I still wanted to be involved with the horses and felt as, as though the, the experience I had riding for so many great trainers, um, you know, I'd like to have a go at it myself. So, um, look, very, as you mentioned in your intro, very challenging. Um, but I was lucky enough to get some support those early years from uh, an, a very affluent owner from Singapore who was supporting me through those years up there. Mm. And he um, he bought me a few horses to kick off with, and I'm forever grateful for those years that he supported me. Nowadays, Craig, there's a waiting list one mile long uh, for trainers seeking stables at Randwick. It's much tougher yep. now than it was in 2005. Definitely, John. Um, and uh, look, I've got to thank. Um, I had a through my riding years, I had a fantastic relationship with Tony King mm. uh, from the, back then the AJC. Mm. And uh, when I come back from Singapore, I, I I called Tony and explained that you know I'd really love to get some boxes at Ramwick, and he told me of the difficulties. But um, mate, I think he had a fair bit to do with me gaining a license there. Do you? Yep. Yep. In recent years, you've been keeping your small team in the complex operated by Les Bridge, who's been a great friend to you for many, many years. You rode many winners for him, and nowadays you've got the benefit of his expertise whenever you need it. Uh, John, look, first of all, through my riding years, I, I was having a look at some statistics on racing and sports just while we're leading into this interview, mm. and uh, much to my surprise, I saw that I've had the most rides. I had the most rides for Les than any other trainer. Goodness me! Uh, yeah, mm. yeah. Two hundred and seventy-one rides I had for Les throughout yeah. my career, mm. um, and and it spanned as early as you know my apprentice years when I was claiming three kilos. I rode my first winner for Les at Randwick on a horse called Spring Run. Mm. Uh, it would have been it would have been nineteen eighty six eighty seven. Yeah. Um, and, and from then on, uh, you know, I was riding work regularly at Randwick. Uh, my boss, Rod, allowed me to travel out to Randwick and ride for Les and, in those years, and um, it, it opened a lot of doors back then. But Les, Les has been inspirational in that way and his support, um, not only as a jockey, but since I've trained, started training, uh, the support there that he's given me and the advice and just watching how he does things has been uh, invaluable and I'm very grateful to him. For a trainer who doesn't have the luxury of training fillies for the major studs or the benefit of unlimited funds at the yearling sales, it's really a matter of sifting through the catalogue for something in your price range that just might do the job. Absolutely, John. It's a, it's a, it's a, a tiresome t- task um, and you've got to be very fortunate and, and lucky to snag something that really has a motor around, uh, you know, of the price tag of twenty grand, thirty grand. But when I started, that's what I was faced with. Yeah. Um, and I look strange thing if you treat them well and and look after them, the twenty grand rough diamond can can mm. turn into a capable racehorse, as I've mm. learned. Well, there's one good example. What about a horse called Single? Six wins, nine placings, almost four hundred thousand dollars. 
Four of those wins were at Rose Hill, including a listed race. What did you pay for him? He was a cheapie. Yeah, he was a twenty-five grand buy, John, mm-hmm. at the at the Easter sales. High Chaparral uh, had had only two-year-olds on the ground at that time, so they hadn't hadn't really hit the ground running. They mm-hmm. they usually take twelve months to come good. Um, so I bought him relatively cheap. Uh, he was out of a decent decent international family. Um, big rangy, long striding horse with with a high high. You know, he was highly strung temperament. Was he? Yeah. Yeah. Took a bit of time to settle him down, but um, he always had that stride on him, John. And um, the original syndicate that bought him, um, there was a that needed to be a dissolve of the partnership not long before I, I raced him. Mm. And and uh, at the time, Jeff and Mary Grimish had given me a couple of horses to train, and I explained that I was about to lose a promising two-year-old. Mm. And so uh, Jeff very kindly supported me and said, mate, if you like him, let's go and buy him back. Mm. So he had to go under the hammer at William Inglis and Son, and um, we ended up buying him back for $60,000 because um, mm. he, he, he was looking the part at the time and the high chaparrals had started to do do reasonably well. Mm. So, um, but, you know, I felt that he was worth the sixty grand, and um, we put a syndicate together largely due to Jeff and, uh, yeah, we had a great great bit of fun with him. A filly called Everidge is a good story. You bought her for $20,000 at an English classic sale. Uh, you sold her on as a three-year-old at a Gold Coast broodmare sale and Jerry Harvey bought her for $150,000. What happened after that? Well, um, I, I went straight up to Jerry after he'd bought it and I explained, you know, that she she was a temperamental horse mentally and that, you know, um, I'd love the opportunity to keep her going. Mm. Um, and mate, to his credit, he gave me the horse back to train. Um, unfortunately, um, John, she was a real running two-year-old that, that just um, really left left all that energy in those in that two-year-old year and mm. it really didn't go on. Yep. Um, and subsequently he put it to stud and done very well with it, by the way. He, he put it to Fastnet Rock and um, she ended up, I think they ended up selling the first foal, foal as a weanling for about 450000 So I was delighted he got a result out of her. Mm. You named her after the legendary Dame Edna. Mate, John, I've been a fan of Barry Humphrey's comical wit for, for years <laughs> and um, and uh, I've seen him a couple of times on, on the uh, the stage and he's 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 just a brilliant man so um, I thought you know what I'll repay a little bit of the enjoyment that I've had from mm. watching Barry Humphreys perform and name the horse Everidge and mm. she done us proud. I wonder if he he realized uh, the filly was named after him. I don't know I don't no. think he did I don't think he did no no no. But now, maybe 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 he'll he'll uh, listen to this podcast. Let's hope. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he does. Now, Craig, I remember one agonising experience you had early in your training career. This was unfair. A gelding called No Respite gave you your first Metropolitan training win with a victory at Randwick in two thousand and nine. I don't think you were too worried when the rider of the second horse bunged in a protest. But 20 minutes later, you were worried. 
Oh, John, that was that was a mixed day of emotions. Let me tell you, um, I, a, an old neighbour friend of mine, Jack Hanson, who who by the way raced Mary Ruler with Paul mm. Sutherland back in those years. Yeah. Um, he he bought me no respite, and um, to to win a race for Jack, <laughs> it just sent all the emotions very high, and then all of a sudden, as you say, it was taken away. Um, so it, it, it wasn't a great day, but um, no respite was a hand, handy, handy type horse. He ended up uh, going up to Singapore and racing successfully. You were tickle pink to win some races, four in total, with a filly called Lady Sansa, who had a big ownership group, and one of those owners was Carol Russell, wife of the late Ken Russell, who was one of your closest mates among fellow jockeys of your era? Oh, John, he was. We we first got to really know one another when I was riding for Brian Mayfield-Smith in mm. or would have been 89, 90. Yep. And um, I was the number two jockey there after I'd come out of my time. And Ken and I just got on really well together and uh, there was always a sense of humour around Ken, which I, which I really enjoyed. And, um, mate, to, to see what happened uh, tragically with Ken uh, was, mate, just, a, just a, probably one of the saddest days I've spent in racing. You've won many races at provincial and country tracks since becoming a trainer, and you quickly assess where a horse can win, you're happy to travel, and you like to be there yourself, if at all possible. I do, John. I like to get there. Um, I, you know, when when time permits, I, I, I certainly like to have a look at the track too, um, and see how it's playing, see how it is underfoot. Um, if there's a preference to being out or in, I like to um, get to the bottom of that before I have uh, a chat with the jockey, and um, yeah, just try and try and be prudent in those areas because sometimes it can make a difference. Craig, a lady called Kim Harding is a very passionate owner and breeder and an occasional yearling buyer. Kim's been racing horses in Sydney for many years with Les Bridge as her regular trainer, but she's currently lending support to the Carmody stable. Mate, I'm very grateful to to Kim for her support uh, and for Les for that matter. We've spoken about Les's support. The the pair of them um, have have helped me a lot over the last few years in in giving me a little, little bit of a go. Uh, which I'm really appreciative of, um, and we've we've got quite a number of horses in. I've probably got about uh, ten ten to twelve horses for Kim now, and um, yeah, there's a couple of nice ones coming through. So, um, looking forward to the next few years of having a bit of fun with Kim and her owners. Kim, of course, um, <clears throat> likes to promote and support the female jockeys. I've noticed uh, the girls ride quite a number of your runners and obviously anything that Kim owns in future is likely to be uh, written by one of the more prominent female riders. Yes, uh, that's true. When she, when Kim first gave me the horses, she said, look, um, I love to support the females um, in, in, in all aspects of life and um, this, this, um, this racing venture, when, when we have the opportunity to put a good female jockey on I'd like to support that um, she's very open-minded to put the boys on too she, um, 
So where we can, we, you know, we try to find the best jockey to um, to ride our horses, whether it be male or female. But um, I'm having a bit of luck with. I had C.J. Graham win a race for us um, at Wyong a couple of couple of weeks ago, mm. um, which was a good thrill for us. So um, yeah. vastly yeah. improved girl, isn't she, C.J.? She's riding well. Um, you know, she's she's gone from strength to strength since she's been with Peter Snowden, and um, she's getting some more opportunities now. So mm. hopefully, she can. Um, she can continue. And who are some of the others, Craig? Winona Coston has had a bit of success on your horses. Mate, I've I've had a long association with Winona. She was riding single as a three kilo apprentice back when I had him. Mm. Um, I've always always used her when when the time has been right. Mm. Um, and and we'll continue to use Winona. Um, she's a she's a bubbly personality, and she's um, she can definitely ride. Mm. Um, um, also. Kathy O'Hara won on single. I like using Kathy um, when, when we can. So yeah, looking looking forward to it um, going forward. Now, ex jockeys who become trainers are either easy to ride for or absolute ogres. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are understanding of the things that can go wrong, or frustrated because the horse wasn't ridden the way they would have ridden it. <laughs> Which way? Which way do you lean? Oh, look, John. I'm pretty sympathetic. Um, having having ridden many many poor races myself, I know the <laughs> I know the feeling, um, and I'm fairly understanding when it comes to that. Although um, when we have a, a distinct plan in place, and um, you know, it you know it, it might miss the kick, or there be a legitimate a legitimate ex- excuse. Well. Mm. You've got to wear that, mate. You've got to wear that. But um, normally, normally, mate, I'm very relaxed about it, and um, I take it on the chin how it unfolds. But um, yeah, it's nice to get it all right on the right day. Mm. You're still riding plenty of fast work and enjoying it. Must be good for you mentally and physically. Oh, absolutely, John. And um, to add to that, uh, it gives me a real handle on. On the horse's ability level and how they're how they're handling the training regime, and um, together with watching how they're eating and feeling them on the track, I don't think there's a better way in which to judge how your horse is going. So um, you know, in that case, uh, you know, I feel quite lucky, and I'll, I'll continue to ride for as long as I'm physically able. You'd been to Singapore for two short stints before your final four-year stay. You first put your toe in the water in 1997 when Intergaze was outspelling, and then your second trip was at the request of David Balfour, who'd been a good jockey in Adelaide. He'd been a good trainer in Adelaide, but he had an opportunity to train in Singapore. He got in touch with you. He got in touch with me, John, and um, he he uh, he got an owner uh, up in Singapore who who uh, put me on a retainer. To ride up there for three months, um, and I went up there full of enthusiasm. And uh, look, it was quite—he was quite a demanding uh, person. Mm. Um, I enjoyed it, but it, it just—I could see that it wasn't going to work out. But um, in that three months, I was—I was riding for various trainers, and um, you know, uh, one one of which uh, Mick Kent, who, um, as we spoke about, had average. He—he he was training up there at the time, and. Um, I think he's seen something 
reliable in me, I guess, um, mm. because he, he steered me into a fairly solid fa- uh, foundation job up there for a, a very prominent Asian-American, Jerry Sung, mm. who'd been racing horses up there for t- 20 or 30 years. Um, and he had about 20 horses in work at the time with with um, Don Birchiger, um, who formerly raced, uh, trained out of Victoria. Mm. And so um, I, I started riding for Donnie back then, and um, uh, we, we had a lot of luck together over the following three years that I was there. Mm. Don uh, used to train out of the old Epsom uh, training complex, which gave way to the developers quite a few years ago. Now, I think he went to Singapore not long after that, Craig, and he's still there, isn't he? No, he's retired now. Has he's he? retired now, John. His son took over the stable uh, going back a few years ago now. Mm. Um, but, um, mate, we still keep in regular contact. Don and I, he lives down in Melbourne. The only thing I've got against him, mate, he's a Collingwood fan. Oh, is he? And, yeah. yeah, he's a mad Collingwood fan, but uh, we won't hold that against him. <laughs> Your <laughs> wife, Kelleen, is Singaporean by birth. She worked originally in the hospitality industry based at the legendary Raffles Hotel and going to and from work each day, she would drive past the new and very spectacular Cranji Racecourse. One day, she called into the office of the Singapore Turf Club. Why did she do that? Well, first of all, mate, it would have taken a bit of guts to do Um you know, her family probably were against it, yeah. uh, but her, I reckon she would have got off that MRT train mm. with the sheer love of the animal mm. uh, because because that's notable. She, Colleen still works with me at, at the track and she's a valuable part of my little team mm. um, and she's, she's another set of eyes for me and she doesn't miss a trick, but... I think back in those years, yeah, the love of the animal had captivated her and she, she got off and would have taken a bit of courage to, to do that and she went into the offices and asked how she could become involved and um, they put her on to um, a, a local trainer by the name of Charles Leck at the time mm. and uh, she developed her skills enough to start riding track work and um, it was back in... Oh, it was in 2003 that I would have went back for my, my second stint, mm. or my third stint, sorry. Yeah. Um, third stint, and um, I met Colin then. And, mm. uh, yeah, we're, we've been together since. We've been to, been married now for 15 years. Mm. And um, we, we have two beautiful children. I've got Mandy, who's 11, and Liam, 9. Mm. And... Uh, yeah, we're we're living the dream, mate. Got our horses and got our beautiful kids, and um, as you say, looking for that intergaze now. <laughs> cap it all off. Now, are Mandy and Liam impressed by the fact that their father rode eleven Group One winners? Um, I'm not sure whether they have a real understanding of what a Group One winner is yet. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think they they will for sure. They both enjoy the horses because um, through a, through having to come to the odd uh, Sunday afternoon shift and and mosey around and that, and we got them on a broom already, John. Um, they 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 come and uh, they've taken a real shine to. The animal itself, so uh, I'm sure it's going to lend itself to an interest down the track. You live at San Susie, which is right in St George territory. 
and I think the kids are pretty keen Dragons fans. Mate, we're all Dragons fans. I think I've been been the catalyst that have got that going. Mm. Uh, we're we're members at the Congress, so like everyone else, we've been been uh, itching for the NRL to get back so we can at least watch it on the telly. But um, mm. yeah, we're big big NRL fans of the Dragons, and um, I don't know whether it'll be any time soon where we're seeing them lift a trophy again. But mate, we'll stick at it. <laughs> <laughs> you say you say Colleen goes to the stables with you every day and is a full-time member of the staff. What yep. are what are her duties? Uh she's on the ground, John. She yep. handles um all those incidental things. Uh she helps a lot with the ulcer pace and um you know uh bandaging of a leg or you know a nick and a cut um temperatures um just the overall well-being of the animal. Uh, when we come back from the riding, she'll oversee the uh, cooling off and, and going on the walker and getting back into the stable and being rugged and all those type of things that, mm. that need to be done. And she's um, she's a great asset. Somebody's got to do it and she does it well. Yep, she does and does it, does it with a passion. Craig, we'll just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast. Back in just a moment. Many believe the Longines Queen Elizabeth Stakes has become the highlight race of the championships. It had its beginnings as the Queen's Plate in 1851, over three miles. Later in its history, the race was known as the AJC Plate and the King's Cup, but everything changed in 1953 when a young Queen Elizabeth witnessed the running of the race just nine months after her coronation. The young queen watched the 33 to one outside of Blue Ocean lead all the way to win the first Queen Elizabeth Stakes in track record time for the mile and a half. Nowadays, it's run over 2,000 meters. It's for three-year-olds and upwards and has seen a spectacular prize money spiral in recent years. In 2013, it was worth half a million. Today, it's worth five million. Since the royal visit in 1954, Tullock and Winks are the only horses to win the race three times, while dual winners have been Intergaze, Grand Army and Adaib, who beat very elegant both times. The running of this year's Queen Elizabeth will mark the 50th anniversary of Gunsin's final race start. A huge crowd turned out at Randwick to farewell the Gundawindi Grey, but had to settle for a fighting second to the New Zealander Apollo 11. What a pity it is that Gunsin's name doesn't appear on the list of winners. The Queen Elizabeth will be supported by three other Group 1 races, the Schwepp Sydney Cup, the Star Australian Oaks and the Queen of the Turf Stakes. It's a hell of a race day, day two of the championships on the 8th of April. Now we profile a riding career that took you to the top level of Australian racing and was the catalyst in your brush with fame as the star of a popular television commercial. <laughs> Mate, I thought that would be forgotten. Not, not with you, John, not with you. Well, it's a yeah. great story. It's a great it story. It is a good story. Now, what what was the theme of that commercial? John, it was about a young apprentice jockey coming to the city for his first ride and um, unplaced he was, unfortunately, but then he goes back to a, uh, a hotel room and rings his mother on the phone to explain how the day went. Mm. And it was all centred around, back then, telecom. And, um, yeah, it, it ran for three years, that that. Ad and uh, mm. yeah, it it uh, still 
still has um, the remnants of of uh, many people calling me Beeper. Which was started by, of course, Malcolm Johnston. Who else, John? Who else? Yeah. Well, in yeah, that commercial, Craig, when you rang your mother, uh, you could hear the uh, the old-fashioned STD beep, subscriber trunk dialing. <laughs> it, it, you know, you if could. you ra- rang interstate, you'd hear that funny beep, beep, beep noise, and that, that quickly led uh, to Malcolm's uh, invention of your new nickname, and I think you still get it from time to time. Mate, I'll walk past I'll walk past Darren Beadman or Corey Brown and they still refer to me as Beep. Mm. Which yeah, yeah. So that look it's it's um it's it's a nice nickname anyway. I've been called worse, put it that way. <laughs> I think it was a sixty second commercial and yep. it, but it took a long time to make. It did. Um well, look we there was quite a few of us auditioned for that part because mm. they, they auditioned probably about 10, 10 to 15 riders. You were a shoe-in. And, mate, uh, I, mate, I don't know what it was, but I managed to get the part and, and it took three days to shoot mm. um, in various locations around Sydney. Um, but it was a bit of fun and an insight watching that uh, clapperboard come down. But, uh, mate, look, I was I was pleased to get back on a, a thoroughbred, to be honest. <laughs> now, I'm sure some of our listeners will want me to ask you this question. Who were some of the other apprentice jockeys that auditioned for the part? Uh, mate, Tracy Bartley was, was one of them. Um, I remember Ray Silburn being there. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I think he was being a little bit... Optimistic, but Tony Marnie went. (laughs) (laughs) Good old Tony. Yeah, I don't think his audition lasted any more than 30 seconds, but I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But, yeah, um, yeah, there was quite a few of us there, but, um, yeah, it was interesting. Now, Tony must have fudged a few years when he gave his age because uh, that was supposed to be the story of – an apprentice jockey at 15 or 16 years of age. I think Tony was well past that stage. I think he was lured by the dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was lured by the dollar, old Tony. Yeah. Now, mate, you were born and reared at Ashfield, where horses yes. were scarce. You yep. went to Tamworth once on a family outing and yep. somebody put you on a horse. You had no idea what you were doing, but you loved it. Mate, I did. I did. He was a bay stock horse called Cisco, and I remember it vividly. And um, from then on, it just started the um, the interest in horses. And I remember pestering my mother um, in the in the couple of years that followed the last two years of school, because that would have been when I was 12, 12 or thirteen. And um, it just set me on a path to be involved around horses, really. Um, and and mum didn't have any any real interest in racing apart from um, she had a brother that was a regular race goer back then. So Uncle John, um, we pestered Uncle John for a, a, a contact uh, and because I was local to Canterbury Racecourse growing up in Asheville, um, he, he arranged a meeting with Rod Craig down at Canterbury at his stables and, yeah, the rest is history. I went and met Rod and, um, uh, you know, I started working um, on weekends initially, mm. just in the stables, learning about the horses and working working within the stable area. And um, 
yeah, it was a, a great experience and it, it just started the interest. And, um, yeah, very thankful for those people that helped me back then. Not only were you apprenticed to Rod, but he was the trainer of Intergaze and a valued friend to this day. Absolutely. And I remember back in those early years, John, um, uh, he, he, had a, he had a chestnut filly by Red Tony called Lady Eclipse. Mm. And um, it, it was the same year that I started that um, Lady Eclipse won the Champagne Stakes in yeah. 1983. Mm. And um, it, it just captivated me and um, I, I just saw the thrill that Rod got out of it. And, um, yeah, I was, I was just destined to, to be in the game. When uh, Canterbury was closed by the Sydney Turf Club as a training centre, a number of trainers had to relocate. Some went to Rose Hill, Rod went to Warwick Farm, and the rest is history. Now, Craig Carmody's first ride in a race was on the 9th of June 1984 on a horse called Royalism for the astute Harold Riley. Royalism finished 9th of 13, a lacklustre debut, Craig. <laughs> It was, it was, and and look, I don't think it was. I don't think it was one of my better rides. Um, I I can remember it being caught wide and ending up ending up being the widest on the turn at at Kembla, and it came down the outside and improved a couple of lengths and run midfield. So, um, you know, I think uh, Harold Riley was very considerate the way he handled the uh, return to scale, and uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it was a great experience and, um, you know, thankfully it, it got a little better as we went on. Your first winner, fittingly, was for Rod Craig, a horse called Born Red, also at Kembla Grange at your third ride in a race. Now, Craig, I remember old Born Red. What a perfect horse for a green apprentice. Oh, definitely, John. He was the perfect horse for me and um, very, very thankful that Rod and, and the owners at the time gave me the opportunity on him because he, he would have started right in the market and I didn't have much experience and I went to the barrier on him and he jumped out and w without really steering, he knew where to put himself. <laughs> mm. He virtually he virtually carried me around um, and, and he found gaps he found gaps over the last three or four hundred meters, and um, and and went away to beat beat a horse called Lord Avon um, down at Kembla that day. And um, I think Lord Avon was ridden by Neil Payne that day. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, a couple of years later, <clears throat> you were going so well that you were champion apprentice. Nineteen eighty six eighty seven season, you won the Sydney. Metropolitan Junior Riding Title, great thrill. It was a great thrill, um, and and you know particularly you know being in Sydney and I'd I'd, ru I'd run second to Tracy Bartley the year before, so um, to to bounce back and um, and and win that for myself was a was you know a, a great achievement I thought. Mm, and thirty four city wins too, Craig, in the season that was a pretty tidy total. Yeah, it was it was really good back then. I had some terrific support from um, from Les, and um, I was riding a bit for Tommy Smith at the time. Um, most of the major stables were were utilising my claim, mm. um, and that certainly helped me gather up those numbers. Les Bridge had two strong stayers in the stable in the spring of nineteen eighty seven, 
and both went right through to the Melbourne Cup of that year. Yep. You rode the Brotherhood and Larry Olsen rode Kenzai in all of their spring engagements. You actually won the Newcastle Cup on the Brotherhood, beating Larry on Kenzai, a bridge quinella. It was. It was I'll remember the day vividly. Um, there, there was a, uh, a fall going out of the straight the first time, mm. um, uh, and there was a bit of scrimmage at that point, but I ended up in a really lovely spot, and um, the Brotherhood gave me a terrific ride, and Les had him primed, um, and I, I heard Kenzai come thundering down at me late, but um, he just slogged it out and managed to um, ward him off the Brotherhood, mm. and it... Um, Mr. Purcell, who was one of the uh, main owners of the Brotherhood back then, uh, he he was a real uh, support for me as well, and with that horse, and he he really wanted me to continue on the horse, so um, that's the way it went. And uh, yeah, it was my first experience in in Melbourne in mm. that year in in '87. Yep. Les Les and Mr. Purcell combined and give me the support, and I went down there. It was it was some experience. Yep, you rode him in the Mooney Valley Cup, ran fourth, uh, and that put him straight into the Melbourne Cup. And uh, on a day of high excitement, it was. And mate, the horse ran terrific too, Johnny. Didn't he it? only got beat probably two and a half lengths. Yeah, yeah, he didn't get beat that far, and uh, he gave me a great ride. And it, it was overwhelming to see Les and Larry win that race on that day and to be there and experience that with them uh, is something that I'll always remember. Mm. I jumped over another race there, Craig, before he went to Melbourne for the Mooney Valley Cup. Uh, he and Kenzai both ran in the Metropolitan. Kenzai second, the Brotherhood third. Yep, yep, that's right. Now, what's the story about a telegram, a surprise telegram that arrived at Flemington Racecourse on Melbourne Cup Day, and I think it was actually delivered to you in the jockey's room. It was, John. It was a, it was a real surprise. I got the telegram, and when I opened it up, I was, you know, would have been in my silks, and or not not long, not long before I went out to ride. But it was from um, the principal at De La Salle College at Ashfield, where I went to school. Good in my. Yeah, mm. and uh, I remember thinking at the time, wow, it, it was only three three years ago that I was, you know, sitting with a group of schoolmates, you know, um, in, a, in a sweep, and here I was actually about to take a ride in it. Mm. So it was a bit surreal, but, uh, yeah, always remember that. I just looked up um, the result uh, of that 1987 Melbourne Cup. You finished officially seventh on the Brotherhood, he yep. was 3.3 lengths from the winner. Did you spot Larry Olsen getting up on the fence with Kenzai? Mate, I had my head down, but I I saw the green, I saw the green colours, mm. green and red colours at the side of my peripheral vision and um <laughs> I, I I I knew that um he was going to be right in the finish. Yeah. He certainly yeah. was. I think he went around one horse, Kenzai, a perf- uh, a perfect Olsen ride. Perfect Olsen ride, yep. You snared another Melbourne Cup ride seven years later on a Sydney horse called Gold Sovereign. Uh, I think he was trained by Kerry Parker, wasn't he, at Kembla? Yep, that's right, John. Kerry gave me the ride on him and I'm thankful for that. Um, 
and he showed a bit of pace too. He was in front at the winning post the first time and I think he started to give ground probably oh, about the 700-metre mark. It was a fairly true run race and, um, yeah, he, he just wasn't at his best that, that day. But um, he's a very capable horse on his day. He won a St Ledger at Randwick, I think, ridden by yep. Gavin Eads, if memory serves me correctly. Yep, yep, I remember that too, John. He was a he was a very handy horse. Now you had three rides on an amazing little horse called Stylish Century in nineteen hundred and eighty nine when he was trained by Bart Cummings. Bart was one of several trainers to put the polish on Stylish Century during his racing career. Now, after an unplaced run in the George Main, that was your first ride on the little black horse, you led all the way to win the Spring Champion Stakes. Yeah, I remember riding him in that George Main Stakes and he was a little slow away um, before getting into a reasonable spot and running a, running a very good race. Mm. And, and Bart said, mate, you can, ride him, you can ride him in the spring champion stakes, but we'll take him to the barrier and we'll make sure he jumps out in spring champion stakes day. Mm. So we took him to the barrier and uh, we jumped him out and uh, he jumped beautifully and I was confident that he was going to jump well uh, on the big day. Mm. Um, but it was such a thrill to, uh, to ride that horse. And I remember the speed that he was going from that mile turn to the thousand meter mark, I thought, oh my goodness, he's he's going too quick, and they're mm. going to collar him, and it's going to end in tears. <laughs> but um, he he just accelerated once we straightened up and come up the rise, and away he went. He was he was some horse. Only a little fellow, wasn't he? With tiny feet, I remember. He was pony yeah, sized. He was. He wasn't a big horse, John, but had a, a mighty heart. Mm. You rode him one more time in the Caulfield Guineas. Finished in the middle of the field. Yeah, it wasn't a great, wasn't a great day. Um, didn't he missed the start a little bit again and got it? He just wasn't the same horse unless he was free rolling. He was a mm. real free rolling horse, and when he was in amongst them, he just didn't have that same propensity. But um, mm. uh, it, it was it was not long after that I think uh, the horse was taken off Bart and given to uh, Billy Mitchell. Mm. Billy Mitchell trained him thereafter. You won three races in 1990, including the Summer Cup, on a horse called Magnolia Hall for a great lady, Helen Page, who's still going strong on the Gold Coast. Craig, the following year, the same horse ran third in Let's Elope's Melbourne Cup. Very talented horse, John, uh, owned by Evan, Evan Sperling and his wife, Robin. Mm. And um, uh, it was a big thrill winning that race, uh, Summer Cup Day. Um, he led all the way. He was able to dictate terms, and um, yeah, Helen and John Page were thrilled, and as, as was I, because they'd been supportive through my apprenticeship years, and um, yeah, always loved catching up with Helen and John. A strapping grey filly came into your life in the early 1990s, destined to give you a brief, all too brief, but very exciting ride. Her name was Angst. Ten starts, seven wins. Mark Peters rode her in her first win. You were on board for all the others. You won a two-year-old race on her at Wyong, and then she was beaten by Acapulco Queen in the Wellington boot of all places. <laughs> yep, Any she excuses was. there? Oh, mate, I don't know whether you're familiar, but do you know what happened, John? Every gate opened bar angsts, and 
she yeah, she was she was probably two lengths last. There was a distinct delay with her gate opening. She come from last and she run second. It was a huge, huge run. Mm. Um and and I remember because Noel and I are great mates still to this day. Uh, with he, he was a great support of mine through my riding years, mm. and he's also been a good good uh, ear to to uh, lean on when I've had a problem with a horse over the years. Mm. That now I've been training, but Noel, um, I remember saying to Noel after that I come back into scale, uh, mate, I think we can get get this um, a non-starter because it, the, the gates didn't open. He said. Don't be silly. It runs second. We get the prize money. So just don't say nothing. Don't say a word. Good logic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, she so, had a she had a spell after that, Craig. And when she came back, she resumed on a woefully heavy track at Newcastle. She ran fourth, and then she put together five dazzling wins. She won a Rosehill three-year-old. She won the Silver Shadow. She won the Furious. And then the one that people still talk about, the T-Rose Stakes by five lengths. Did she feel as good as she looked? Oh, she was amazing. I remember you calling that day, John, too, and um, she she just uh, – th- I think that was one of her best wins. Mm. Um, she just accelerated so well, um, just a, a very talented filly and just was ahead of her time at, at that three-year-old year against the fillies. Mm. Um, uh, but her her win T Rose Stakes Day always sticks out. Mm. Noel Mayfield Smith sums that race up best of all when he says, watching her over the last one hundred metres, it wasn't as though she was in a race. She looked like she was cantering down to the barrier. Yeah, yeah, that's that's oh. well summed up. Well yeah. summed up. Yeah, she was she was an athlete. I remember winning the Flight Stakes, John, and um, you know she was. Um, probably at a stretch at a mile, mm. um, particularly in, with that sort of pressure. And she was up running or third or fourth. Um, she had a nice run in the race, but um, there was always a little query of her running out a strong 1,600 under that sort of pressure. Mm. Um, and I remember coming around the turn and she was giving me enough uh, to keep me encouraged. And um, she started pretty short that day. She was favourite and um, – being a group one, the pressure was on, and um, mate, thankfully she dug deep to win. It was a, a terrific win, and um, it 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 uh, captivated that princess series for her, and um, mm. the owners were thrilled. And uh, it's it's something Noel and I'll never forget that ride with her. No, it was so exciting. Craig, goodness knows how far she would have gone, uh, but she spelled after the flight stakes. She came back and suddenly developed a breathing difficulty. And yeah. it was discovered she had polyps on the larynx. Mm. Now, they were surgically removed, and she appeared to be making a good recovery. Mm. But she took a turn for the worst during the night, and she died at the vet clinic. Mm, tragic, John. Tragic. Yeah, to to have it taken away from Noel and myself and, um, and the owners who um, obviously were devastated at that news um, and and not being able to continue her career and also in the breeding barn, um, it was a real loss. We've seen many instances of smaller trainers who've risen to the occasion when a decent horse has come along. 
Who yep. could have managed that filly better than Noel Mayfield-Smith? Uh, you know, Noel, Noel has been a great trainer in my mind for, for a long time. I, going back to when I was riding for Brian Mayfield-Smith in the Nebo Lodge days, mm. um, Noel was his foreman back then, and since he's branched out on his own, um, he has he has competed really well with the stock that he's had. Um, I can remember horses like In Top Swing that he's had. I think he won a Caulfield Guineas. Mm. Uh, let, let's Compromise. I won a Ken Russell Memorial Classic on him at the Gold Coast, mm. um, which was a, a great thrill for both of us. Mm. Um, and, and uh, yeah, he's continued to find a good horse. He's very, very good trainer. You got yourself on a Group 1 winner in April of 1994, winning an all-age stakes on a New Zealander called Prince of Praise for trainer Bruce Wallace. You were probably riding him work, were you, Craig, at that time? That's how you got on him. Bruce Wallace is a was a great friend of Jim and is a great friend of Jim and Greg Lee, ah. um, who who I rode for many years um, all through my my career. Mm. Jim and Greg have been great supporters, mm. and um, when Bruce often would bring his horses over, he'd stay at the Lee stable, yep. and that that introduction come through Jim and Greg Lee, and um, yeah, I ended up getting on Prince of Praise and. Um, yeah, we had a we had a fantastic day that day. I can remember it well. I have deliberately left until last a special tribute to your once in a lifetime horse. You rode into gaze in thirty five of his forty nine starts. You rode him in ten of his twelve wins. You rode him in seven of his eight Group One wins. You won a two year old race on him at the end of nineteen ninety five. After which he was spelled. You rode him first up to run third in the kindergarten stakes in 1996 and you didn't ride him in a race again for exactly a year and there was a very unpleasant reason for that. Yeah, John, unfortunately, after I rode him in the kindergarten, um, oh, it would have been a week later, a Sunday meeting at Rose Hill, I was in a, in a race there and approaching the 300-metre mark there was a shift from a horse on my inside um, who wasn't clear of my heels. And the next thing I know, I woke up in Westmead Hospital yeah. with a broken femur. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I had a rod put down down to stabilise the, the brake. And uh, it took me 11 months to get over that. Um, but through that year, I missed I missed uh, intergazes, basically all his, the remainder of his two-year-old year. And his um, his campaign in Melbourne as a as a three year old in the spring. Mm. And Glenn Boss won the Group One Champagne Stakes on him, which must have hurt a little bit. But you got well, ample it, consolation later. It it did. You know what? I was so pleased for the owners though, and and for Rod. Um, you know, you mentioned about how elusive these good horses are. I remember riding him uh, in his first first. Uh, barrier trial uh, at Warwick Farm and I said to Rod, mate, I think you got something pretty special. But um, Rod, Rod, I think, knew all, all about him uh, before I trialled him. He he, mm. he had a big opinion of the horse and um, his his first win was an outstanding one and he just um, he, he never looked back. But um, when when I missed out on him that year, that, that spring that spring of um, – 
96 yeah. in Melbourne. Uh, he he won one race down there, uh, but um, really uh, he he was still a little bit immature, although he ran really well. Mm. And I, I managed to get the ride on him when he when he returned. Yeah. Well, he's probably best remembered for his defeat of Octagonal in the 1997 Queen Elizabeth Stakes, the occasion of Octagonal's farewell appearance. Huge crowd, huge anticipation that the big O would go out on a winning note. You must have felt slightly embarrassed when you spoiled the party. Yeah, absolutely not at all, John. I, I, I actually enjoyed it. Um, yeah. It's interesting. It was an interesting story because uh, my my first win on him after I broke my leg was in the Canterbury Guineas held at Rose Hill that year, over yeah. eighteen hundred. Mm. And, and um, uh, I remember I remember beating Might. He ran past Might and Power that day to win that guineas and and he was then subsequently beaten in the rose hill guineas there was a fall at the thousand meter mark which Mm. changed the complexion of the race and i went a little bit early and i got beat a lip Mm. and then he got he he ran a terrific race in the derby after running third but the pressure was building and Mm. i could i could feel it amongst you know uh everyone involved that we needed to win at queen elizabeth stakes and um to the horse's credit, he he ran an he ran a mighty race, and um, he, as you say, beat Octagonal mm. and all our mobs. Did you have any plan to uh, usurp Octagonal, or was it just the way it turned out? He was always behind me. I I had a better gait, and I ended up in a in a in a lovely spot, running about fifth, and uh, I had Octagonal behind me, uh, stalking me. Mm. Um, I knew he was behind me, so um, at the at, or would have been not long after the 800, I come out from where I was um, just to let Shane know that I wasn't um, going to get locked into a pocket. But when I come out, I didn't go. I just sort of uh, stalled for another furlong and a half. Mm. And um, he elected to just sit behind me and wait, mm. um, which was, um, you know, it worked out worked out being really good for me because at the top of the top of the rise uh, I don't think Shane anticipated Indigay sprinting like he did or well, couldn't he we, let down Craig uh, couldn't John, he let he, down strike me he, pinky had a turn of foot and he come up that hill John with, with I, I had a lap full of horse I knew he he had it in him to to let down and mm. if I could capture that moment in a bottle I'd I, <laughs> I, I'd mate it was just something I'd prefer a Chardonnay <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. You know, by an amazing twist of fate, Rod Craig wasn't there the day he beat Octagonal. He was attending his daughter's wedding and yep. he actually heard the broadcast on a car radio. I'll yeah. bet Rod was the first person you thought of when you went past the post. Yeah, absolutely. Rod not being there. Um, you know, I, I had I had thoughts about the wedding because unfortunately I couldn't go to the ceremony because of obvious reasons. But mm. um, John Thompson, the great trainer at Ramwick now, um, he married Nicole, his daughter, that day. Mm. And um, Rod was naturally at the wedding. Um, and I, I, I've heard the stories about the the radio on in the car and the celebrations after it. So it, it made for a magic day. I joined them for the reception held at Canterbury Racecourse uh, in the function room up there yeah. after the race. And I remember walking in, you know, to uh, a rousing to the cheer. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it was a, it was a, it certainly didn't take away the, no. the wonderful day that John and Nicole had, but um, it was a, it was a memorable night. Did you get a standing ovation? Uh, I don't think I got a standing ovation, mate. I think Nicole would have slapped them all down. <laughs> yeah. Now, let me run through the other six Group One wins on Intergaze: a Canterbury Guineas, All yep. Age Stakes. Another yep. Queen Elizabeth in '99, yep. a Doomben Cup, an Underwood Stakes, and the Australian Cup. Now, which of your seven Group One wins on Intergaze do you believe was his best performance? Oh, uh, John, I think I think um, you know the the Australian Cup win was his biggest win. Um, I, I think it was the most. One of the most significant because he was getting towards the end of it. Um, you know, he was he was still performing really well, uh, but his his effort to win that day under extreme pressure, because he he'd over raced from a bad barrier and uh, oh, he he led by probably four or five lengths mm. going going past the twelve hundred meter mark, yeah. and I thought, oh no, this this is going to Again, end in tears, but mm. um, much to my my relief, he managed to rally under extreme pressure and hold them off. Mm. And um, I, I think that was one of his gutsiest wins. Yeah. Probably not not his most brilliant, but it was definitely one of his most gutsy. He wasn't entitled to win that day, was he? Mate, he he wasn't. He wasn't. But mm. um, you know, his his win. His win in the in both Queen Elizabeth Stakes, um, you know, were, were outstanding, and his win in the Doomben Cup, he was three wide the entire. Mm. Um, he he drew very badly. He never got in, and he just careered away at the end. Um, it, it was a great effort. Another classic case of what a smaller trainer can do with a good horse. I mean, put it into perspective. Rod Craig won eight Group Ones with Intergaze. Eight. Yeah, astonishing. You really got to, yeah, it it is, John. I mean, it really comes to mind since I've been training and I'm trying to win a race at Kembla Grange and the odd odd midweeker with mm. with you know a moderately bred staff to to get your hands on a horse. Such as intergaze is a rare thing. If you if you manage to ride one or train one in your lifetime, you should consider yourself like I do, very lucky and very privileged. Craig Carmody, you were the consummate professional in a twenty year career as a jockey, and I can tell you you've already established the same reputation as a trainer. You got to ride a unique horse in intergaze. And I hope you get to train a unique horse one day. You thoroughly deserve it. Thanks a lot, John. It's lovely to spend some time with you. Great to talk to you on the podcast. And this podcast, of course, was produced by Supernova Sound. Australian trainers are giving Pride's Racing Cube the thumbs up. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube is a set recipe formulation in which the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. 
Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Mornington trainer Jason Warren introduced his horses to Racing Cube early this year and is delighted with the results. We've had a great deal of success since making that change. So really pleased with Pride's and not only the racing cubes, they've got a number of other feeds that work well for us. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at a very economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed stable. Trainers are giving it the tick of approval all around the nation.